Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, the ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. Be sure to hang around to the end of the episode for a special interview with myself and Tommy. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. So tonight's going to be a little different. I'm not going to rant and rave and so forth. I'm the talk show host tonight. All right. Uh, I do think I've got to answer a couple questions here because they didn't want to answer them. Um, but I don't really know why they didn't want to. Uh, but we've got to – you didn't want to answer one of the questions? Huh? I don't even know the question you're talking about. All right. Well, you ready? I'll just ask you the question first. Huh? Oh, yeah. we got to introduce ourselves. Tell us who you are and what your role is. Luke doesn't know his role, actually. I'm just kidding. Luke. That's kind I of true. It's um, kind of true. Luke, yeah, I'm Luke Davis. I am a intern, basically. Yeah. 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 Sort of volunteer intern. Um, that's the best way to put it. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep talking. All right. I'm a senior here. I graduate in December. Um, what else you want me to tell them? Where do you serve? I am a youth director at a local church here. And who and who works for you? This is a good segue. <laughs> Justice works for him. But go ahead, Justice. Who are you? I'm nobody. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I am Justice Obey. So I am the Connections Campus min, minis, mis, 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 Missionary. Um, <laughs> but I uh, do everything with like connecting and all that. So if I haven't met you, holler at me. Um, and so basically, I graduated um, and I'm old. So there you go. And, and listen, Justice likes food. And he likes expensive food. Some of y'all that he's already taken to lunch, you lucked out. Because I had to tell that man, I was like, man, you're spending all our budget taking these people all these nice places downtown. And so <laughs> it's true, isn't it? So, uh, so yeah. So if you, get, if you get lunch with Justice moving forward, you might eat Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying. All right. Zach, go ahead. Well, if Justice is old, I'm definitely old. I'm Zach. And I am married to Heather, who is awesome. Um, and... <laughs> That's really the most interesting and exciting part about me. So I, <laughs> no, I, I graduated last year. Um, it was great, living the dream. Happy to be here. Go ahead, Heather. I'm Heather, I'm Zach's wife, and I'm a senior here at UGA, and I graduate in December with a degree in communication studies. And what's your role? And I am the discipleship campus missionary, so all things dog packs, yep. and it's a lot of fun. That's so. right. And Allie, you're up. Yeah, hey y'all, I'm Allie. Um, I am the Missions and Evangelism Campus Missionary. Um, and I didn't graduate from here, but I'm really uh, pumped to experience UGA for the first time. It's been really fun. That's awesome. That's good stuff. And she takes care of the building when the rest of us aren't here, so that's the most important thing, right? I'm just kidding. That's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, speaking yeah. of the building, there's going to be some things happening this semester that you're going to see taking place around here. We don't have to move out of here for those things to happen. I told you guys that, I don't know if you knew this, if you were a freshman or transfer, but there was originally a plan to tear down this building, and we were going to be off out of this building um, and uh, meeting at Tate all semester and all year, this year and next year. Well, some of those plans got pushed back for some pretty legitimate reasons. Um, and so they're going to go ahead and do some short-term stuff to this building that's going to make it look like it's not falling apart, uh, like replacing roof, doing some of the things outside. They're talking about painting some of the brick and stuff to match actually Terry next door and all that good stuff. And so um, 
There will also be a point probably at Christmas where you'll see that this ceiling and all the nastiness in it that's on it and in it is going to be taken care of as well, probably over Christmas break. Um, and uh, don't look up at it now. I see some of y'all. No, no. And whatever you do, don't put your nose too close to it to, to breathe, right? All right. So um, I'm just kidding. Um, kind of. Uh, so just know that that stuff may be happening and be listening out for that. Now, let's jump into this. We took a bunch of questions that you guys sent. In your seat, there's a piece of paper that's blank. If you have another question that pops up tonight that you want to ask us, you can, uh, you can write that question on there. If you didn't get a question submitted to us, and you're like, I got a question about Genesis chapter 1, 2, or 3, I want to ask, you can write it, okay? Notice I said chapter 1, 2, and 3. Don't ask me about chapter 6 and the Nephilim, and if they were aliens. We're not talking about that, okay? All right, but chapter 1, 2, and 3, uh, you can ask a question on there, and what you can do is just kind of hold it up. Natalie, where are you at? Right where? She's in the back. Yeah, back, she's back in the back. She's looking. So if you just at any point tonight slide your hand up with a piece of paper, Natalie's going to get it. She's not going to listen to anything we say. She's just going to be scanning the crowd for paper. You got it? All right, so first question first, Luke. I know you're prepared for this. Dinosaurs and aliens. <laughs> you're not prepared for that, are you? I mean, no. I don't know. Yeah, I'm supposed um, to answer that question, okay? Yeah. Yeah, I'm supposed to answer that question. I know what alien means, not of this world. Yeah, not of this world. All right, so here's the deal. We don't know. Let's be honest about it. We don't know. From the alien standpoint, we don't know. I'll tell you this. Uh, Y'all know who Billy Graham is? I think Billy Graham answered this question best. He said, look, he said, if there's aliens, there's aliens. If there's not, they're not. I'm paraphrasing, right? But he said, if there are, he said, ultimately, he said, God, you know, would have provided a way for their redemption, all right? And so what does that mean? I don't know, right? Who knows? I don't know, right? It's not in the Bible, so, I mean, who knows? But dinosaurs, I'll tell you this. Do we know dinosaurs existed? Yeah, all right? We're not up here with some, like, crazy conspiracy theory saying that we didn't land on the moon, dinosaurs didn't exist, all that kind of stuff, right? Okay, all right, but I will tell you this. Um, it, it all depends on what you view in, in your, through the lens of creation. And, and so, y'all remember I talked about this thing called gap theory back a couple weeks ago, right? That's one explanation for dinosaurs. Um, I had Luke studying up on that. I, that's why I was asking you. I thought you were going to bust out some info about gap theory. Um, look, uh, what does that mean? Well, basically, uh, between chapter one and, or chapter one, between verse one and verse two of Genesis chapter one, there is a theory out there that says that there was a gap of time, right? And that basically something was there beforehand that God had created, and then something crazy happened and destroyed it all. I don't know, meteor, meteors or something, right? And then God created um, what we see from verse 2, verse 3. You may say that sounds crazy and absurd. That's cool. That's fine. A lot of people say that sounds crazy and absurd, okay? But then, you know, uh, maybe dinosaurs were regional uh, in the sense that they weren't exactly where humans were. We don't know. Maybe dinosaurs were uh, walking around with the humans and they were feeding them and we just got it all wrong. I mean, who knows, right? Uh, and maybe, reality is, is maybe if you, if you also are a day-age uh, person and you view that the six days of creation, each day was an age and a period of time and not a 24-hour day, then there's potential that that takes care of the dinosaur question as well. How did they all disappear? Some people say it was a meteor kind of deal, right? If you're a day age maybe that's possible if you're a gap maybe that's possible some people say it was the flood maybe that's possible we already got a piece of paper up that's awesome that's all i got to say about dinosaurs i think that if you read too much into scripture to try to take more than what's there you're going to get yourself in trouble and we're going to see that with all these questions i think tonight 
Stay with what the text says beyond and outside of that. You got room to think about it, but you got to make sure that you don't go uh, and read into and, and, and put extra things in there than what are there, okay? So if you were expecting me to tell you the years that dinosaurs existed, whoever asked that question, I'm sorry. I can't tell you the years they existed, all right? But I can tell you, I mean, the fossils are there. I guess we're not going to argue with that. That'd be kind of dumb, right? They were around. They were around, okay? And nothing the Bible says negates the ability of them to have been around. All right, so number two, this is a good one. Justice, you're up. He's going to start the question. Everybody else can talk. Anybody else want to ask something about dinosaurs or aliens? You know what I should say about aliens? Go to a middle school and you'll find aliens. Y'all know y'all were all aliens in middle school, right? Okay, you just got out of alien stage like a year or two ago. So that's why I do college ministry. You'll find aliens. That's true, Jacksonville, Florida. They wear jorts too. All right, sorry, moving along. How should we view the differences in the creation story between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? This is important. Justice, talk. I'm going to talk. Okay, so Genesis 1 and 2, what are the differences? Well, I'm going to start with this. There ain't no difference. So <laughs> let's, let, let, me, let me tell y'all something. So Genesis 1 and 2 are the same thing, but one is general and then one is specific. You mean two is specific. You said one I said, yeah, I said one chapter yeah. is specific, yeah. and then another oh, chapter, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Man, oh, we got bad. the police up in my here. <laughs> so, anyways, as I was saying, um, so in verse <laughs> 11 of chapter one, Tommy, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm messing with you, but uh, verse 11 says, then God said, let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees, on the earth bearing fruit with seed and it according to their kinds. So this is clearly talking about vegetation, but when you read in verse five of chapter two, it says, no shrub of the field. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> said no, can y'all still hear me? Yep. Dang, I have bad hearing, I gotta hear myself. But in chapter five, it says no shrub, I mean chapter two, no shrub <laughs> of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So it's clearly talking about no vegetation, but like I said, chapter 2 is a lot more specific, and what they're talking about here is the Garden of Eden. It's going to be created. But in, ver in chapter 1, gosh, that's a lot of chapters. I'm saying. But anyways, chapter one is less specific and it's just saying vegetation in general. So it could be corn, it could be broccoli, it could be all the vegetables that y'all don't eat. Um, hey, let, and so, let, me, let me throw something in there while you're saying that. Yeah, Remember, it's probably, I'm probably going to say it. But go, yeah, ahead go ahead and say it. I was just going to do color commentary, you know, like, oh, like, yeah, yeah. like, a, I got like a football game. Or yeah. Something, right. Um, to add to that, I'd say this. Um, Specifically to chapter 2, verse 5, um, one of the things that you got to realize is that when God created vegetation, it wasn't like it needed rain to sprout. Does that make sense? So, okay, so chapter 2, verse 5, when it's talking about the rain, to, 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 that they hadn't sprouted from the rain and all that kind of stuff. Um, we talked even about like ideal age theory and the fact that like what came first, the chicken or the egg? 
right? Adam wasn't created as a baby, as a six-month-old, right? But Adam was created as a human. And so the idea is, is that that's also what we see taking place in vegetation. Go ahead, continue. Sorry. Thank you so much, Tommy. You're, that was, you're like Vince Dooley. Yeah. I'm kidding. I don't know who that is. I do. But anyways. <laughs> We're kicking um, you out of this, <laughs> this campus. Go ahead. Um, but yes, so you see one is specific and one is general. Um, and so they're parallel to each other. But just know that if anybody goes to you and says, they're different creation stories. You better be like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> yeah. Go, go ahead, Allie. This is good. Um, yeah. yeah, Justice. And I'm You're still muted. Time. No, that's on. Hello. Hey, Here. Ryan. Test one, is two. It it, no, it's green. Just hand her your microphone, Heather. <laughs> Just go All for right. it. Um, Thanks, Justice. I wanted to add. Um, <laughs> I wanted to add a quote I found. I think it was really helpful. Um, it says the initial chapter, so Genesis one, gives a general account of the creation. The second chapter is generally declared by critics to be a second account of the creation, but considered in the light of the general plan, that's not an accurate statement. Evidently, the purpose of the chapter is to show that out of all the creation we have, especially to do with man. Therefore, only so much of the general account is repeated as it involved in a much detailed statement concerning the creation of man. There is a marked difference of style in the two accounts, but the record is consistent with the plan to narrow down the story to man. Um, and so I think that it's a good conclusion to make that chapter one is more of a general overview and kind of chapter two kind of zooms into the relationship of God and man because that's the focus of the story. Yeah. Absolutely. Zach, you, you made a comment as we were kind of prepping for this. Yeah. Um, you, want, you want me to just quote or do you want to say it, that last sentence? I mean, really, Ali hit the nail on the head. It, it makes sense, at least yeah. me reading this, that you know, man was created, mankind was created on day six as the pinnacle of God's creation. Yeah. Uh, mankind is the only creation that was made in the image of God. So it makes sense that they have uh, this sort of special attention, this sort of zoomed-in view of uh, what took place on day six and then beyond. That's good. That's absolutely good. Uh, okay, so we're going to pretend like I'm not the host for a second because apparently i got to answer another question. One of y'all ask me the next question. So, Tommy, uh, Adam and Eve's kids got married to other people. What are the implications of that? <laughs> Isn't that a great Hello. one? Yeah, somebody else asked this question from the crowd already, I believe. Natalie, you're doing a great job sending us these questions via text. That's perfect. Um, yeah, so it's either one or two things. It's the only thing it can be. Either it was incest, right? In the sense that we think of incest then, right? Like brothers and sisters marrying each other. Or reality is, is that, or you've got to take the view that God created other human beings. That creates both of those. So, all right, so here's, here's the reason that some people would end up on either end of that spectrum. Um, we know there had to be girls that were born and or, and or created, right? Because we see three sons. Um, there have been a lot of theologians and historians who have went back and looked at the amount of time that Adam lived and looked at that in comparison to the other accounts of Old Testament figures leading up to the flood. Um, and, they've rec and they've done the math on about how many kids he would have had, him and Eve would have had if they just continued to have kids. Uh, they even looked at the, uh, the amount of time in which she would have been able to get pregnant in comparison. Like if you do like a, uh, you know, 
we lived this long, they lived this long, what would have been the amount of time? And it's like 350 years, basically. And so they said if she had a kid every seven years, um, and there's actually a traditional view that says they had about 52 kids or something. It'd, it'd be like they had like 50 kids, right? So we only see three of those kids. Now, maybe they had 100 or 200. I don't know, right? But we only see three of them. And because we only see three of them, it, it's, it's Cain, Abel, and Seth, right? And Cain kills Abel. So Abel ain't having no, no children, right? <laughs> um, and so Cain, the problem is, is that Cain is, is, is basically uh, concerned because he says, I don't want to be a wanderer because those other people are going to kill me. So that opens up a can of worms that maybe there were other people. What other theologians say is, well, yeah, okay. He was probably worried about his family killing him. He probably wasn't referencing some other people that God created out there. He was probably worried about his family killing him. The other issue is, is that when you get later on into Genesis, chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, uh, we're told that uh, Cain found his wife in Nod. Now, here's the deal. When you were in elementary school and you were in a Sunday school class, you probably got told a story about Cain and Abel. Everybody learned about Cain and Abel back when they were a little kid? And you got told that Cain got shipped off to Nod. And you got told that Cain found his wife in Nod. The problem is that's not actually what Scripture says. Okay, that was us making it PG for you. Okay? Because what the Scripture says is that Cain went to Nod and Cain knew his wife in Nod. Do I need to explain what knew his wife means to anybody? Okay, good. All right. Y'all, they got these looks like they, yeah, okay. They consummated their marriage, okay, and nod. There we go. What is that? But they didn't tell you that as a kid. So some kid was like, where did Cain find these other women from? Well, I mean, he might have taken his wife with him, right? Could have been his sister. Sounds gross, right? But you do have to understand, okay, number one, Adam and Eve are created good remember that then the fall happens so but they were still created good and they were god's creation remember this whole thing they're created as humans right we're, we're probably not seeing a lot of dna mutation early on y'all get what i'm saying right uh i saw one study as i was studying up on this that said that it, it in animals and some animals it takes like 10 to 20 generations of incest as we would call it uh from the first children before you start seeing significant gene mutations. And so there are some that argue, well, that's why. Uh, the other reality is, is you ask the question, I mean, kind of the same thought process of why in the world they live to be 900. Look, God can do what God wants to do, right? That's the reality of it. And if you got to populate an entire world, you probably need to live to be 900. Y'all get what I'm saying? Like, that's just the way it is. And so um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, Scripture lends itself more towards the argument that yes it it was brother and sister that there, there's less issues with that scripturally than there is with they found these other people that god created because then you got to ask yourself the question about god creating these other folks and what we find in the new testament in relation to the lineage of jesus because in the new testament the lineage of jesus is traced back to adam now we'll say this Ultimately, the flood happens, and when the flood happens, well, we know that Noah came through Seth, who came from Adam, right? And so we still got that same lineage. But there's, there's a few more issues with people God also created were just not told about 
than there is with brother and sister. Go ahead. I was about to say something. Are you about to say something? I thought you were about to go on for it. Go for it. I mean, one of the problems. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. One of the problems you've got is if Adam falls. Um, yes, the entire world fell with Adam, but at the same time, you have a human race that, by some standards, would be split. So, so we know that the Bible says that um, by one man sin entered the world, and so because of that, if you go with Adam. Um, if Adam is the one that sin entered the world through, it makes a lot less problems for us to go, okay, Adam's kids, um, Adam's kids, you know, married each other and, and had children instead of saying that Adam had kids and then they married some other part that didn't eat the fruit, so to speak. Um, so that would be one of your issues, but. Yeah, and, and, and I was, Luke and I were talking through this earlier and, and I told Luke, I said, the only potential catch to that is that we do know that the fall corrupted all of creation, right? So the fall corrupted all of creation. But mankind is set apart from the rest of creation. So, so there's some tension there. I, I do want to read this to you. Romans chapter 5, um, verse uh, 15 says, But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Verse 17 says, For if by the transgression of one death reign through one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45 speaks of humanity being one race that Christ died for. And so when we think about, in our world today, we think about race, what do we think about? We think of it differently than actually the biblical view of race. Because the biblical view of race is that there's actually one race, it's one humanity, and then we have multiple ethnicities. Does that make sense what I'm saying? All right, and so that, that's the biblical view of race, okay? I understand what culturally what, what when we think of the term race, okay? Um, but the biblical view of that is that, particularly when it re relates to um, salvation and so forth, the fact that Christ died for one race, humanity, for all of us. You got it? Okay, and then our differences are found in our ethnicities, et cetera, and so forth, our cultures and so forth. So in that sense, it makes a lot more sense if it was brothers and sisters all coming from the same family tree. And since you brought up Christ, really quick point, because Jesus didn't have a father, you know, sin is inherited, you know, from other humans. And from, so because yeah, from, yeah. Jesus didn't have a father, that's one, one of the reasons he is, he, we believe that he's perfect, that he's, that he's man, or God and right. man. Yes, so, yeah. absolutely. That's a good one. All right, this next one's going to take a minute. Ooh, buddy, number four. Huh. Hey, really quick, one more thing to add just to that last question. Okay. Um, less than 30 seconds. The Old Testament is filled with all sorts of things that we in our society today would just think are weird, uh, that make us uncomfortable based on our uh, norms of what we grew up with, what we were taught was, was in some ways right or wrong, in some ways which is just different. So it's so important when you're reading the Bible to try to gain a historical context around yeah. what is being said, because that will, in a lot of ways, actually reveal the truer meaning. You know, it. Father Abraham and many sons, many sons have Father Abraham, that guy, right? Y'all know Sarah? Y'all heard the story of Sarah, right? Uh, you know they were half brother and sister, right? Same mama, half brother and sister, okay? So it wasn't until 2,500 years after Adam that God actually sent the law down that said no more incest, 2,500 years after. All right, so that's a good point. Are women 
Lesser than men because they were created second, Heather. And then a follow-up question to that. Allie, elaborate on the last part of Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Us guys ain't touching this one. Y'all have fun. <laughs> you got it, honey. Um, so I actually really love this question because I feel like in our society today, people often like to misinterpret um, scripture and say that the Bible does have a lower view of women for a lot of different reasons. And when you actually read the scripture, we see that that is not true. And we see that the Bible actually has a very high view of women. Um, this can be seen when um, Jesus, the first person he ever told that he was the Messiah, was to the woman at the well yeah. in John 4.26. You know, that is the first time that he verbally said, I am the Messiah who you speak of. And I just think that's incredible that the first person he chose to reveal himself to was a woman. Yeah. You know, and if Jesus viewed that woman as so much lesser, why would he give her that opportunity to be that first person? Um, another example is when Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene in John 20, 11, verse, uh, verse 11 through 18. Um, he appeared to Mary Magdalene first before anyone else, before his 12 disciples who were his closest friends. Mm -hmm. um, because Mary Magdalene was one of his friends too. And she and Mary were at the rock, the tomb, and he revealed himself, himself to them. Um, and when you look back at the creation story, we see that Eve was too created in the image of God, just like Adam was, and that God literally took one of Adam's ribs to form Eve. And um, I think that's just incredible that she was made in the image of God, just like Adam was. And in Genesis 2, 22 through 23, we see Adam saying, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so we kind of see that Adam here is praising God and he is thanking God for this blessing and essentially saying, like, this is the best part of me. Like, thank you so much for giving me this because this woman is the most incredible thing that has ever happened. Yeah. Like, that I get to know her and I get to love her. Like, she is beautiful. Yeah. So That's good, Heather. I think one thing that's dangerous in our world today is there's always a straw man argument that comes up against Christianity particularly those who would view themselves as theologically conservative. I'm not talking about politically, so don't take that and run with it and think I'm trying to make some political statement. But those who would view themselves as people of the word, as, as those who have an inspired and errant view of Scripture, they're theologically conservative. For some reason, there's been a straw man that's put up that said, well, these are folks that don't believe in the equality for women. These are folks that are, that are sexist, right? Like, that's the straw man that gets put up. And the thing is, is that when you look at our faith and you look at Scripture— that's the opposite. Like, that, that doesn't even make any sense. When you really look at how Jesus interacted with women, when you look at the creation story itself, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so uh, I was even saying the other day in the building to some students that were talking about this, I said, guys, I said, here's what's happened. There's these two words that get thrown around called complementarianism and egalitarianism. All right, complementarianism is the view that God created man and women, men and women to complement one another. So they have different roles, all right, but they're equal in value. Egalitarianism says that men and women can have the same roles. They can have equal roles and that you must have equal roles to be equal in value. Number one, that means that a person that's egalitarian that believes that you have to have equal roles to have equal value, they've got a really, for lack of a better way of putting it, screwed up view of the Trinity, because the Trinity has different roles, but is of equal value. All three parts of the Trinity does. You got that? 
So you can't have the right view of Trinity if you say you have to have the same roles to be equal in value. But the other thing is this, is that um, part of what has happened historically is that there is a biblical model for complementarianism which says that men and women are of equal value but yet have different roles. Culture, because we're broken, we're fallen, over history has corrupted that. And then what's taken place is, is that those that don't like the view of complementarianism have said, well, that's what the church thinks. Right? The church thinks what culture has made, you know, this sinful, um, what's the word I'm looking for, chauvinistic sort of view of complementarianism. Does that make sense? So the church, when I say the church, I mean the biblical view of complementarianism is not chauvinistic. The corrupted, twisted, cultural view of complementarianism is chauvinistic. But what's happened over time is, is that the rest of culture has tried to make what culture corrupted be actually what is what the Bible is saying. And that's not fair to those who actually believe the Bible. It's just not. And so if you're going to believe what Scripture says... You, you have to fall on the side of complementarianism. That is a theological truth that starts at creation. It starts at creation. And Heather, you did a tremendous job talking about it. So with that in mind, Allie, chapter 3, verse 16. Yeah, um, just let me read that verse for us really quick. Um, so Genesis 3, verse 16 says, um, and just for context, this is after the fall, and God is explaining um, the consequences that sin would bring. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Um, and so this is a bit of a loaded question, so just um, <laughs> bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but just like Heather was saying, we know that men and women are created equal in the sight of God. Right. We were both made in the image of God. Um, we were, were created, created equally. That means we have equal value, just like Tommy was saying. Um, but God has given men and women different responsibilities and callings within the church and within marriage. And so um, I just wanted to point us to Ephesians 5, 23 which says that, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And so um, just setting up this verse in Ephesians 3.16, um, we know that God's plan, God's perfect plan for marriage is that the husband is the head of the wife. Um, and part of a wife's calling is to submit to that person's, person's leadership. Um, so to submit to her husband's leadership. Um, and hey, can, so, can I add real quick? Yeah. Make sure you notice that Allie said submit to her husband's leadership. Right? Yes. That twisted cultural view of this is that we got a bunch of Bible toters floating around saying all women are supposed to submit to all men. And that's, that's not what we find in Scripture. It is a wife to her husband's spiritual leadership. Continue, sorry. Yeah, and um, so when we look back at chapter 3, verse 16, it's describing what has happened when sin is introduced into God's perfect plan for marriage. Um, and the last part of that verse, it says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 
Um, and so first talking about, um, it says your desire. And it's kind of hard to understand what that could mean. And so um, a good just rule of thumb is when you're um, trying to interpret scripture, look for other places that same word is used. Um, and that Hebrew word desire is only used three times in scripture. And um, another time it's used is actually in Genesis 4, verse 7. Um, and this is a conversation with God and Cain. Um, God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And this is the same word we see in uh, verse 16. Um, and so just as, um, just as sin sought to overpower Cain, um, the woman's desire against her husband um, in a fallen world, that means that um, the wife will seek to overpower and sub subvert her husband's God-given authority sometimes. Um, that's just the reality in a fallen world. Um, and that last part of the verse, but he shall rule over you, I know that our culture has kind of taught us as ladies to like cringe when we hear that, rule over you. Um, but don't think of rule in this sense as a dictatorship um, because that's not what scripture calls men to rule as. Um, going back to Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, and so God calls husbands to rule over, um, but that means that rule as Christ would rule. And that means a sacrificial love, um, just as Christ gave himself up for the church. Um, and so if you still have questions about this, girls, is what it means and how this is contrary to our culture, because it really is. Um, Heather and I are here if you have any more questions. But that's what I would say for Genesis 3.16. That's good. Heather, you're married. <laughs> yes, I am. Zach's right beside you. I'm, I'm yes, he is. <laughs> So I didn't ask you a I would question, never make Zach. Him do that. I ain't asking Zach this, right? I want, I want to know what you think. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say that I can see just from being married that God truly has set up our marriage so that the man is the spiritual leader and set up every marriage that way. And um, while, like, Zach is meant to be the leader of our household, the Bible does clearly state, like Allie said, that the man is supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And so I would say to that that time and time again, there is a mutual submission. So first, there's the submission to God of Zach and also of me, and then also the submission of me to Zach. And as long as all of those are in order, as long as Zach is submitting to God and I am submitting to him, there really is no issue. Right. You know, there is not that conflict of, you know, who's going to be in charge, like, who's going to make this decision. It's, it really falls into place when you're following the way that God designed marriage to be. Yeah, that's good. Zach asked me a question on the little end of the podcast the other day, and uh, I just want to ask it to you guys. Um, and that is, so, I mean, I don't know that we got very many married folks sitting out here today. Um, I see a couple of y'all floating around out there in the back. Um, but uh, we should have got Bree and Trent up here and made them answer right now, too, right? <laughs> Trent, I told you, Trent. Oh, God, you want to add anything, Trent? Good good choice. Good choice. Bree? No? Okay, good. Listen, but I do want to ask. So, like, for folks that aren't married, like, what do they, I mean, they're like, I mean, I get the question. It's a great question. It, 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 was, it was potentially a bomb. Uh, but 
what does someone that's not married do? You're asking how they apply this? Yeah, how in the world? Both. both. So, I mean, as a guy who's not married, um, my goal is to glorify God with everything in my life. So in the same way that Zach would submit himself to God, that is my goal every day. Yeah. It's to die to myself and and live for God's glory. In the same way, that is the... the, um, purpose of a woman who is saved, who is yeah. a Christian. Um, I think there's a, a really big uh, emphasis here that we need to be reminded of, and that's why it's so important to be equally yoked. And when I say equally yoked, I'm talking about believers with believers, especially if you're a lady, because you need to make sure, like if you're dating a guy who you, you're like, man, red flags, he can't be a spiritual leader, don't set yourself up for years and years of struggle and years and years of because there's instructions in the New Testament for what to do, but I can tell you those instructions are hard, all right, if, you're, if your husband's not being a spiritual leader. So I'd say, like, if that dude ain't ready to be a spiritual leader, you kick his rear into the curb. I'm being, I'm being serious. I'm being 100% serious. And if you're a lady that's out there and you're dating someone that's not a believer, um, the, the idea of missionary dating is a terrible idea. You're, like, if your idea is, I'm going to win them to Jesus and be the missionary that sees them saved, that's a terrible idea. Because you may fall so in love with them in your mind and in your heart that you're like, man, I can't do without this person. And so I would say, prepare yourself in that way, ladies. I, and I say that as an almost 41-year-old man now. Um, so I could be all of your dads, all right? Okay. So I'm saying it like your dad would say it. Um, the other thing that I would say is this, men, prepare yourself to be a spiritual leader. And what Luke said is exactly right. If you're doing that, you'll set yourself up to be a spiritual leader. But if you're not ready to be a spiritual leader, don't put a ring on that girl's hand. You get yourself right with Jesus. Preach, preacher. Uh, okay. Can I say something about singleness? Yeah. Because everyone knows that I'm single. Uh, <laughs> I'm goofy. But uh, so in, in all seriousness, um, single people in the room, uh, particularly guys, because I can definitely pour into y'all because I'm a guy. Um, but seriously, though, um, for me, uh, for all the eight years I've been single, um, I d- <laughs> Um, I, like, what? You've been single for eight years? Wait, what's freshman? That's not the point. Anyways, (laughs) but, um, no, seriously, like, it's, it's important to prepare yourself. And what I mean by that is, like, knowing your identity in Christ. Because I think what I saw, especially before I was saved, um, I tried to put my identity on other things, and especially girls. And it's just like, when I put my identity in a relationship, in a girl I'm trying to pursue, it's just going to go downhill. But when you know who you are in Christ and how you should be a spiritual leader um, for, to lead yourself and, and to glorify Christ and to show that light, um, it, it, it will put everything together. It really, it really will. Um, and I know I'm still single, but hey, hey, God has a, a plan for me. That's right. I may be single for the rest That's of my right. life. I may be another Paul, That's Tommy. Right. That's true. You might be. 
But I, but it, it won't be any of these folks out here because you can't date anybody that's in the ministry, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so mo- moving on from that, something that, is still, <laughs> something that is still so important is, you know, God calls people to different periods of singleness and different periods of time to teach them something. Yeah. So God good. has you in your season of life right now, whatever it may be, single, dating, engaged, married, so that you can grow closer to him and for that's that good. purpose. Um, So that being said, don't, if you're single in here, don't rush things. Don't try to find somebody for the sake of finding somebody. I mean, BC informal, nobody really takes dates anyways. So um, (laughs) all that to say, don't don't rush it. Let the Lord work stuff out in his timing. Because also the reality may be that you could be ready, but the person God has for you to marry is not ready yet. That's a good point. Um, So just, you know, let it be an exercise of faith and just wait on the Lord's timing. That's good. You waited on me for a year. He so. did wait on you for a year. That's true. That's a good point. That's good. That's good. That's right. Isn't that sweet? I told y'all sent by each other. Y'all get an all. Did you hear it? You got yeah, your first you all. You were right. Oh, we also met upstairs on the couches. So BCM relationships do happen. That's true. I'm just true. saying. Yeah. Next topic. And I'm always, I'm, I'm always here to help. If you need me to help set you up, I'm just saying. Don't, don't listen to him. Really Frank, Franklin topic. Scott, the former campus minister, said that's part of the job description. All right. Evolutionary creationism. All right, I don't even know the question on this. Somebody like it was a great it's question. Literally, it's literally evolutionary creationism, creationism question mark. Question mark. Yeah, what, what does the what does the screen say? We can't yeah, see what's it. the screen says, say? Can you elaborate? Nope, that is not it. That's not Next it. was nope. Nope. <laughs> was what, y'all just saw the last question? What you? should a Christian think about evolutionary creationism? Zach, you're up. Tag. All right. Tag. Um, I drew the and we gotta do it fast because we're running out of time. Y'all, I drew the short straw on this one. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I was looking. We we're prepping this yesterday. And Heather says, "Zach, your notes are so much longer than everybody else's." And I thought, you know, there's no way to do this without taking up a ton of time. Just talk at Tommy so speed. You got this. I, I can talk at Tommy speed. We're great. Anyway, here we go. Um, so evolutionary creationism, basically, right off the bat, it says that God is the creator, and evolution is the. Com- is the compelling science behind it. So evolutionary creationism seeks to join both what we read in the Bible as creation with modern day science and their best theories to join and merge the two together. Um, I looked it up, there is a there is a, a board, a website out here for evolutionary creationism. Side note, this is not theistic evolution. Right. That's something very different and we're not getting into that. Um, but evolutionary creationism it is neither is neither science nor theology, but just an explanation of how we got here, how the world came to be. Um, they believe that evolution is the process by which God created the world and life over billions of years. So essentially, uh, God created everything, and on when in Genesis one twenty seven, when He made man and uh, woman in the image of God, He uh, that's when the evolutionary process started. Um, Furthermore, creationism tells us just straight up that God is the creator, and the explanation given for that is in the text. So um, really there are two major problems with any sort of acceptance of evolutionary creationism. Um, And number one is you have to put a lot of faith in what's called macroevolution. Now macroevolution is whenever you have a father and a mother uh, species who give birth to all sorts of new species. So think of a um, T-Rex all of a sudden giving birth to Velociraptors and Triceratops and all the other different types. You have one species creating new species. That's macroevolution. That is a scientific theory 
that is not measured because you have to have billions of years to measure that. Um, now, microevolution is something that's very real, however, and that is, you know, that's the uh, is inside of one specific population of species that results in changes in the gene pool. That's why, for example, you have dogs with long hair living in cold environments because it's cold. They need it to survive. And you don't have Alaskan Huskies in the desert because they would die. It's too hot. So that's microevolution. So problem number one with evolutionary creationism is you have to have a lot of faith in macroevolution, which is something that's just not, it's, it's an unproven theory really at the end of the day. And the second big problem with um, evolutionary creationism is you're not taking the Bible at face value. Like we were talking about earlier, it, you, you're having to read something into the text that's really just not there. Um, and you, you can follow conjecture out and you can say, well, if, if you're adding something to the creation narrative that the Bible doesn't say and you're not taking the Bible as it is written and you're making creation figurative all of a sudden, well, what else can you make figurative in the Bible? So you get some really, really swampy waters really fast on that. That's good. That's good. Any else? Anybody else have anything real quick to add to that? Because we're at nine eighteen. If you want more, come to our dog pack on Thursday night. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me let me say this just very quickly. We are, I said very quickly, I want to make sure I say this right. There's, there's a big buildup. Yeah, it's, it's, and then it's going to be really quick because we talk fast. Um, to, to argue that people over time haven't, uh, and, and, and uh, species within themselves haven't evolved, uh, depending on where they live, depending on their settings and all that stuff around them, I mean, that's kind of ridiculous to argue against that. You know what I'm saying, Right. But these bigger theories, there's a reason that there are, there are gaps in those theories. Um, there's a reason why there's things that are missing that would connect those theories. And so, um, so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just say that. Um, sticking with the Bible, which we, we believe and know to be true, and then sticking with facts that we know to be true is, is, is usually a safer place to be. So, um, yeah, with that said, let's go to that other question that was up there. That was a good one. Uh, was Jesus just a backup plan? Tag, Luke. Great. Um, so the first thing, for sake of time, first thing I want us to do is, is kind of talk about God for a second. So, so we need to understand some things about God before we try to tackle this question. God is holy. That means he is perfect. There is no sin in him. He is 100% pure, righteous. That's the next thing. God is righteous. Um, they're same, similar thing. Um, because he is righteous, he is also just. For sin, he, ha he has to punish sin because he is just, because he is righteous. Um, and so sin, therefore, sin, when we see sin enter the world in Genesis 3, um, sin is a direct offense against God, and it must be punished by death. By death is what was established by God. Um, but but God is just, and so sin must be punished. He cannot let sin go unpunished by death. Um, and so that's where we see Jesus come in. Was Jesus mm -hmm. just a backup plan? Um, Jesus lived the perfect, goodness, the perfect life that we could not live as broken, fallen humanity um, so that he could propitiate or atone for our sin or justify us before God. Um, 
and because he was the perfect sacrifice, that is the only reason we can believe in him and, and trust in him and repent of our sins and be able to go and be in fellowship with God one day when we die. That is the only reason. Um, Jesus is obviously the only means um, by which our sin can be, um, by which we can be justified of our sin. Now that that is out of the way and we understand that, um, God is omniscient. That's another thing. He is omniscient. What that means is he knows everything. And so if we are going to sit here and say that Jesus is just a backup plan, we are arguing that God is not omniscient by virtue of the fact that um, if we argue that Jesus was a backup plan, we're saying that God was surprised by sin and that God didn't originally know that he was going to need Jesus. And so um, not that he was going to need Jesus, but that Jesus would have to be um, sent here. And so if we are saying that he's a backup plan, we're questioning the omniscience of God. Um, with that, obviously that's wrong. We, we believe that God is omniscient, period. Um, he knows everything. And so because of that, um, if we say that he's not, we're questioning a lot of things about the character of God. Um, if you look at Romans 8.28, um, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Right, we love that verse. We like to say that verse a lot of times when, as Christians, we are going through something that is a trial, something that is hard. My question to us would be, do we want a God that can be caught by surprise? If we believe this, we're in effect what we're saying, that verse in Romans, that God that is not omniscient, that doesn't know everything, is planning everything for my good. Do I really want a God that can be caught by surprise, working everything together for what he thinks is my good? I'm not saying that's what God is. That is what you were saying by saying Jesus is a backup plan. Um, so I think with this question, it also begs the question of, all right, if Jesus is just a backup plan, that means God knew sin was going to enter the world. If God knows sin is going to enter the world, why didn't he stop sin before he ever needed to send Jesus to the earth? Um, I believe that was one of the questions uh, yeah, submitted as well. So that's we might correct. as well answer that. Yeah. Um, so why sin? We know God did not create it. That must be a God did not create sin. Because he is holy, he did not create sin. However, he allowed it. Um, for sake of time, I'm just going to say, look at Isaiah 55 on your own. Um, but we, the answer I would give to that is we can only see and know the goodness of God based on our fallenness, based on the darkness of sin. I would put it to you this way. How many of y'all played sports in the room? I'm assuming most of us, right? Um but at some point, you probably had to play a night mm-hmm. game. And if you were ever on a field, a sports field, without the lights on, it's very hard to see what's in front of you. You can kind of see. You can kind of find your way around. Um, but it's very hard to see. You turn those lights on, and now everything, you can see everything. You can see everything on the field. But at the edge of that light, you can kind of see some darkness that's out there. Um, you can see past the edge of the light. You can't really see what's out there. In the same way, if you turned off that light, you now understand how dark it was that you, or how dark that field was before the light was turned on. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, C.S. Lewis hits on that. Uh, Mere Christianity. Anybody read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis? Like his whole argument in that entire book is, is that you know God exists because of evil, right? He's he's ba- that's basically him doing the the talks during World War II. Well, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Great Britain is being bombed, right, by the Germans, just hammered every single day. And he's doing these talks on the radios to try to comfort people. 
And so once he did them, they asked him if he would put it in together in a book, and so he did. And his entire argument is that basically we know God exists because of the fact that there is evil in the world, which is exactly what you're saying. We know the glory of God because of darkness and sin. Yeah, I forgot to give y'all the scriptural backup for that, so it's great for me to say stuff to you. Um, but until I back it up with scripture, you should not listen to anything we say. Um, so it says... Ephesians 1, 3 says, so this is Paul, he's writing to the Ephesians, right off the bat he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chosen or chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, he knew that Christ was going to be sent down to propitiate for our sins before the foundations of the world. Um, I'll give you a few other references. I don't have time to read them. Um, but look at Revelation 13, 5 through 8, especially, or specifically verse 8. But those first three verses give you context. Um, Isaiah 55, 10, 3 through 10 is great, give you context. Um, Genesis 3, 15 is not before the fall, but at the same time we see that Jesus was the plan throughout the um, human history. Um, John 1, 1, you yeah. mentioned. Um, that's another great one. Um, yeah, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Point being... The plan has always been, the word being Jesus, it tells us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus, right? The point being is that Jesus has been around before the foundation, right? And so he's always been the plan. And does God create evil? No. Does Satan uh, create? No. Satan corrupts. You got it? Satan corrupts. It is man that sinned. It is man that has fallen and that is broken. Okay, Satan can corrupt. God allows that to take place. Why? Because it is in the midst of that. The only answer we can, we can see through Scripture is it is in the midst of that in which we find God's glory. So, were you going to add something, Heather? Yeah, I was really just going to say um, that it's so incredible to see that God knew that we were going to sin. God knew that we were going to break our relationship. And he knew that he was going to have to send his son to die a gruesome death to yeah. pay for it. And he knew all of that. And he knew everything that we would all be going through. And he still decided that it is worth it. He wanted a relationship with us that badly because he loves us that much. And that is why he created us, was to have a relationship. Yeah. So he had this plan in place, knowing that we would mess it up because he just loves us that much and knows that it is that worth it that right. we have the opportunity to know him. That's good. Guys. One thing that I want you to see as we go through this, and we're going to wrap this up, um, is that at the end of the day, everything we find in creation points us to Christ. It really does. And, and so that's why the creation story is so important. That's why when we read about the fall in chapter 3, it's so important. Why does why's the garden matter? Because the fall matters, right? You get what I'm saying? Like, why does, why does Adam matter as being a historical figure? Because Jesus references Adam as a historical figure because the lineage of Jesus we find in Matthew and Luke uh, is it Matthew or Luke that points back one points back to not to, to him is it one points to Mary's lineage one points right to I think it's, it's, it's Matthew I believe it's either Matthew or Luke yeah one of them one of them points back to guess who Adam right and so you, you can't get around that. And so, um, you know, uh, somebody had asked about the, the uh, and somebody had sent something in, I think, yesterday. I'll give this as an example to answer another question. Somebody said, well, how do we know Moses wrote Genesis uh, and, and the creation story? Well, 
because we know that, guess what? Jesus references Moses uh, writing the law and writing the Torah, which was the first five books of the Old Testament that we call the Old Testament day, which includes, guess what? Genesis. And so there's some of these things that we look back to, and, and it really does it really does lay on the crux of who was Jesus, right? When it comes to your faith, when it comes to questioning things in the Old Testament, when it comes to the miracles that you see happening, when it comes to all this stuff in the Bible that, that, that you say, I, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. Well, what about my professor that said this? Or how does that line up with what science says about this? I just want to remind you again as we kind of move forward through this study starting next week. Next week we're looking at the flood. Is I want to remind you of this. Guys, the bottom line is this, is that it all falls on whether or not Jesus Christ was telling the truth or not. Because he ministered based upon the truth that he knew that Genesis and the creation story was fact. It was fact. He said, well, maybe he was mistaken. Well, if he was mistaken, he can't be God. And if he's not God, then you can't have salvation and I can't have salvation. And so if you don't get anything else out of this, what I want you to hear tonight is this. Is that you have a God who loves you, who created you. He created everything around us. And ultimately, at the end of the day, guys, we messed it up. And when I say we, I get it, Adam sinned. But the reality is, is that that means that you and I also, guess what? We're going to sin too. And we're guilty of our sin the same way that Adam was guilty of his sin. And because of that, we are separated from God. But he, not as plan B, but as plan A, sent Jesus to die for us. So that you and I can put our faith and trust in him and have eternal life through him. And so I want to encourage you tonight. Listen, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. Because that is truly the only way to salvation. And you may have questions about some of this stuff until the point that you reach glory and reach heaven and that's okay but I got a feeling I got a feeling that if you know Christ is your Lord and Savior and you die and you spend eternity with him in heaven you know some people say oh then we'll know the answers I don't think you're going to care anymore you know what I mean yeah. right I, I just don't think you're going to care anymore now that's Tommyology it's not going to get you much okay all right but something tells me that that we're not going to care anymore at that point so here's what I want us to do tonight it is 9 30 I know this is taking a while I know a couple of you sent some other questions in, but we are legitimately out of time. We want to get you out of here on time. I don't know if the band had anything else to play or not, but we're just going to move on because that's what we got to do tonight. Don't be mad at me. We're not resetting the, stat, the platform. That would be nuts. I think we broke something anyway. We'll have to fix later. All right. So here's what we're going to do. All right. I want to pray for us. But as I pray for us and we close, okay, I want to remind you, I know Natalie normally comes up here. Natalie, we're just going to cut that out tonight as well, okay? All right, um, I want to remind you of Confluence. I want to remind you of Semi Now, and I want to remind you of Run for Christ. I want to ask you, if you will, check out the place table. You can sign up for all of those. Confluence, we need you to sign up ASAP. If you don't have your $50 to pay for Confluence, I just got to get it from you before we leave. It's not the end of the world. Please go ahead, hit the QR code over there and sign up. We got to get numbers to them ASAP. I've already had to send the first batch in. I'll have to send another one in like this week, okay? And so help us out with that if you will. If you're in leadership, don't forget, I'm encouraging every single one of you. Natalie has encouraged every single one of you. Find a new student and take them to Confluence with you. All right, find a new student and take them to Confluence with you. It's really going to be a great weekend. 
But what I want to do is I want to pray for us, but I want to remind you of this. If you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, and you want to turn from your sin, and you want to repent tonight and put your faith and trust in Him, you can do that right where you're at. Tonight can be the beginning of this amazing, awesome journey in which Christ begins to transform you and make you more and more like Him until the day that you meet Him face to face. And so if that's you, you can call out to Him right where you're at, and you can ask Him to forgive you of your sin and to save you. And you can respond to the Holy Spirit working in your heart and life tonight. And so I want to encourage you to do that even as I pray. The other thing that I would say is this. If you've got more questions about that, any other questions you have for us, anything we need to pray about, take that card that's in your seat, jot that down. If you want to give your heart and life to Christ and you want to accept Him as your Lord and Savior and you're kind of confused about what's all going on here, but you want to jot that down and make a note on it, man, I'll reach out to you. We'll reach, one of us will reach out to you and we'll have those conversations that we need to have, okay? So let me pray for us. We'll be dismissed. Make sure you check out the table. If you enjoyed hearing from these guys tonight, a little change of pace, let them know. I tell you what, it is amazing and awesome. When I took over, uh, it was just me and two others. We have built this team, and I'm so thrilled about the team that we've got to be able to minister to you guys. And uh, what I'm really thrilled about is the fact that we've got Allie that brings in a little bit of knowledge from the outside of how different things happen in different places of ministry. And then we've got a, a handful of folks over here that understand our culture and are able to continue to pour into what's been poured or, or are able to take what's been poured into them and pour back into you guys. Some of you guys out there today are freshmen and sophomores. And when these guys are done in a year or two, guess what? Some of you guys today are going to be sitting up here, right? And some of you we might even be able to give a paycheck to. And that's even better, right? All right. So, hey, let me pray for us. And thanks for being here tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this group that we've got up here tonight and how they've been able to share from their heart about creation and what it means and, and about all these questions. We know that we don't have all the answers. God, I, I believe personally that Adam and Eve had sons and daughters and that they had children. But Lord, I also acknowledge I could be wrong. But Lord, what I do know is that our lineage is traced back to Adam. What I do know is it's that through Adam we find the lineage that ultimately leads to you. And Lord, what I do know is that Adam and Eve had a perfect place in the garden. And Lord, that they messed that up. And that Satan corrupted that. And that they sinned. And that Lord, ultimately, that you came to die for us. And that you rose three days later. And that because of that, Lord, Lord, your Holy Spirit is still working and alive in the midst of us today. And that we are seeing people come to know you as Lord and Savior. And so we thank you for that today. And, Lord, I pray that if there's one person in here tonight that, Lord, doesn't know you, that they will give their heart and life to you tonight and respond to your call on their life. And so, Lord, I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that even when we may not have all the answers, Lord, that, Lord, that that's where our faith comes in. And I thank you, Lord, that one of the reasons that we can trust you and that I know that I can trust you is because as a six-year-old boy, Lord, I was able to put my faith and trust in you. And Lord, I have seen over and over again in my life how that you have worked time and time again in moving me in the right directions when I was obedient to your will and followed your will. And so, Lord, I ask you that, Lord, that that would be true in each and every one of these individuals' lives in here today. For the one that is a Christian, that when they come to the place of not being sure and understanding things within the text, Lord, that they can fall back on that and they can then just trust you. And for the one that's not a Christian, Lord, that today would begin their journey with you. So, Lord, we love you. And in your name we pray. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for this fifth quarter sort of interview. I am Zach Ellington here joined with Luke Davis, who is 
one of our campus uh, missionary interns here out at BCM, and as well as as normal Tommy Fountain, who is the campus minister out at BCM. And yeah, you know, we just last night was such an incredible night. It was so much fun. We were up here. We were answering uh, a whole bunch of questions that people asked via Instagram to us. And if you ever want to reach out to us, if you ever have questions, uh, just hit us up at UGA BCM on Instagram. Uh, we'd love to connect with you that way. But, you know, we just have a few questions that we were not able to get to last night. Specifically, it came from the audience just because of a lack of time. But before we get there, I want to open it up to Luke. Uh, Luke, you uh, were, were asked a question last night, and due to time constraints, you didn't really, uh, I don't know, is there anything else you want to sure. say and add to that? Sure. I mean, I know right off the bat I did misquote uh, one of the things that I was saying. Um, I said Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 does point to... God's ways being above our ways, God's thoughts being above our thoughts. And so we see this whole dynamic of us trying to understand the mind of God with Jesus being the backup plan, or quote-unquote being the backup plan. Um, His ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We know that Jesus was planned from the beginning of time, but I'm not going to sit here and reason and say how and why, you know, all those different types of questions for His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Um, but specifically at the end when I gave the reference to Isaiah 55:10, what that was supposed to be is Isaiah 53:10, which points <laughs> to Jesus. That's good. Um, yes, which points to Jesus very much. And then, you know, I think I said 3 through 10, uh, 3 through 9 would give you context for verse 10. But, yeah. I think it's cool. They both kind of work, though. So <laughs> they do. Yeah. They do. Um, they really you know, do. All, but all scripture points to Jesus. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Cool. I guess right off the bat, um, thank you for expounding on that a little bit. You know, just a little rapid fire. Uh, one of the favorite audience questions. Um, we got a few different ones of these. So y'all, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Um, <laughs> Tommy, we will. I mean, you gotta love what the minds of college students. How long do I have to answer this question? Uh, give us ten seconds. I'll say I only need like two. All right, go for it. I'm gonna say yes because seeing somebody in a bathing suit with no belly button would just be kind of weird, right? So I say, yeah. All right, Luke. What, Luke, what you think? <laughs> I mean, if that's we're going, it, Tommy, I that's mean, a really interesting take. Age, if you think ideal age and how Adam was formed at, you know, say an adult age rather than whatever, I mean, I don't see it an issue to say, yeah, Adam had a belly button. But yeah. I also don't think you're going. Like, I don't think it's a problem if you don't think he had a belly button. It's right. like, who knows, right? I it's like, know. who knows? Yeah. I don't, I personally, I don't think he had a belly button just because there was not a need for him to have a belly button. I mean, <laughs> no, there, no. there was not a, there was not a birth. Adam came from uh, dust. Other than that's a All really right. odd looking belly with no button. Yeah, you know, <laughs> they, they were naked and unashamed, Tommy, naked and unashamed. Anyways, um, <laughs> so that's that. The, at the end of the day, does it really matter? No, it doesn't, because God made them exactly the right way. And if they had belly buttons, cool. If not, also cool. Um, so, Tommy, straight to you with the next question. Uh, let's get into genetics a little bit. Somebody <laughs> asked about Adam and Eve's skin color, their eye colors, and when it comes to genetics going down uh, family trees to get to where we are today. You want to talk a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, we see all the coloring books when we're kids. I guess they're not colored yet if they're coloring books. So we see the... The other books that are already are colors on. It seems like Adam and Eve are always blonde hair, blue eyed. Uh, I'm not really sure why that's the case. Um, so one, the geographic region that we are able to sort of pinpoint the Garden of Eden to, uh, they're in that kind of Middle Eastern area, Tigris, Euphrates, all that kind of stuff, right? So you're looking at there. We know people today 
are more olive complected or, or, or lighter brown, middle brown, et cetera, with, with brown eyes, dark hair. The other thing is that they've actually done genetic studies on what would actually work to produce the great amount of variance that we have in skin tone, eye color, mm-hmm. hair color, et cetera. And they've sort of settled on Adam and Eve were likely a light to middle brown, brown eyed, dark hair individuals. Interesting. Yeah. So you're saying that just kind of started there, then it just spread out to all of the different colors of and genetic differences we have today? Right. If they're, if they're both, I mean, from a genetic standpoint, if they're both blonde hair, I mean, God can do what he wants to do, don't get me wrong. But if they're both blonde hair, blue eyed, eventually we, we run into some genetic issues right. moving down the line there. And you also have Tower of Babel where everybody's spread among the earth. Um, it starts to go out from that area. So then you get your, I guess, as we were talking about um, micro different, you know, differences mm-hmm. with between um, between whole populations. Exactly. Um, so maybe that too. But I, I ultimately, God can do what He wants to do. Like he, I he, said. he can. But but I I do think we make a mistake probably in Western culture a lot of times with, I mean. The, the pictures and paintings of Jesus, the pictures and paintings of bi- Bible, we forget. Like this is a, this is a, this is not no, what G- people definitely. look like. Jesus where, was not white, you know. Right. That's not <laughs> what people look like in the Middle East. Like that's not what they yeah. look like in Northern Africa, et cetera. That's not what they look like. So. Right. Absolutely. Good. A- good answer to that. Um, you know, we're, we are moving quick just because we have several questions and not trying to keep you guys too long. Um, Luke, somebody in the audience last night asked, was God okay with incest to populate the earth? Uh, I know we touched on that a little bit yesterday. Um, Tommy did. Just want to give you a chance to talk about that. You asked yeah, the unmarried uh, guy this question. I did. <laughs> of course, right? Um, I can't tell if that'd be worse or better. But, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think when you look at it, we talked about it a little bit last night. If you think of it in any other way, there's some problems you encounter. Right, right. I, um, so, like you sa- had said, there's a, in animals, about 20 generation sort of thing, yeah. um, where, where you see a decline in um, genetic, whatever you want to, makeups right, around, right. around that time. And so I think right about when the law is given, you have God say no more, in, or no incest. Yeah. Um, and so the, the distinction is, or what people like to say is, what, why is he okay with it then and not okay with it? when he gives the law. Well, and, and to jump on that, Luke, Go ahead. The, I, it's a really simple reason when he gives the law. At this point, clearly, there's some sort of health issue going, right? I mean, mm-hmm. because so many of the laws that he gives to his people are to make them healthier, to make them, you know, not have as many illnesses, sicknesses, disease, etc. You can read whether it's dealing with shellfish or yep. whether it's dealing with incest. Yep. But for 2,500 years before that, we don't see a law against it. And you right. do see people's ages declining, like the, how long they live. And so right. maybe that's attributed to that, that there was incest, and so, or what we think of as incest right. now. Um, and so maybe that's, the, I, I don't know, God can, like we have been saying the whole time, God can do what he wants to do. Right. Um, but so, but yeah. clearly it was not against God's laws or statutes. Right. Yes. We, we don't see him giving that command yes. against it until... 2,500 years or so after. Right, and, I mean, and God never said it was wrong. Yeah, and Adam and Eve then. being the first people, he literally tells them be right. fruitful and multiply, and like so the implication of that is, right. you know. And so for somebody today that says, well, you know, I mean, this is, I don't even know why I would say this, but I think it's important to know. 
for somebody today that goes, well, that, you know, but we know it's wrong today. Well, that's correct. 2,500 years after Adam, we know it's wrong, right? And so, yeah, that makes sense that obviously it's wrong today, not just because we know the issues that come from it, but also God has stated that it's wrong. Right. And it's also important to note, it's not like people are just, you know, you have brother going from sister to sister to sister to sister. This is all happening within the confines of marriage. So there's not this huge spread that's going around. These are people who are marrying each other um, in a way that God intended, and then they're multiplying out. There you go. That's good. Okay. Cool. Moving on. This might be our last question just for the sake of time. Um, But time, we're going to pin it on you. Uh, Somebody asked last night about 1 Timothy 2, uh, verses 12, 13, or 12 through 15. Really like 8 through 15. Yeah, yeah. okay. Luke, you have your your Bible out in front of you. You want to read just for some context. Uh, And this person asks us in relation to the questions about um, women's roles in uh, creation and how God set up. Yeah, and I think think the specific question, Zach, was, Basically, what in the world does it mean in verse 15 when it says a woman will be safe through childbearing? Yes. Yeah, it also says, and I think this could be another thing. I mean, it says in verse 12, I do not, do you want me to read the whole thing or just go through? Um, read verse 12, but understand we're not going to answer verse 12 today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, But verse 12 has got to set up some context. Yeah, so 12 says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Yeah, so am I supposed to jump into that now? Go for it, man. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so that is, that is uh, one, this is a loaded question, if we're being honest. Uh, what I would say is you got to understand chapter 2 in the context. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy in a setting in which there's a lot of chaos taking place in the church, and a lot of the women in the church were the creators of that chaos in this particular setting, hmm. right? And so... Paul is writing to Timothy on ways to clean much of that up. Um, If you misinterpret pretty much this entire chapter, you can do a lot of damage in a lot of different ways. And so it's important to interpret this chapter correctly, particularly when it comes to 12, 13, 14, 15. We're not going to jump into 12, but I just wanted you to read that because that is referencing the fact that a woman within the church, that there's spiritual leadership within the household, which is husband and wife, mm-hmm. and there's a spiritual leadership, uh, or husband and, and wife, and there's spiritual leadership structure within the church, which we see that the pastor, that being the role of, a role of the male, which parallels with that of the household, right? And so we see that between the family and the church, which makes sense because ultimately the husband and wife relationship is representative of the relationship between Christ and the church. So it makes sense why that's there. So in verse 12, what Paul's doing is is he's referencing this issue in the church, and he's saying, basically, women should not be lording over. Not that they can't ever teach, but they should not be lording over in a pastoral role. They should not be lording over uh, exercising authority over men spiritually in that setting within the church. you got to understand that to then get to 13, because in 13, what he's doing is he's using two explanations for why that is the case. One is creation order. Now, again, this is the Bible. This is, this is God's word, right? This is the inspired word of God that, that Paul is sharing with Timothy. 
Um, but he gives two reasons. He said, number one is created order. It was Adam and then Eve. And, and when he says created order, he's not just talking about the order that's created, but you can then go back to creation. And we see there that Eve is created as the helper, right? And that word helper, by the way, is not a, that's not like a, oh, lesser than, yeah. right? That word helper is a really important person. Mm -hmm. It's like Adam can't do what he's been called to do unless he has Eve. Right. That's, that's the, the heaviness of that word helper. Then the second reason he says is, is because of what happened at the fall. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. It may not make us always feel, you know, happy and fuzzy and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but it's pretty straightforward. The question becomes verse 15. It says, so yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. There's about seven different ways that can be interpreted, some of which uh, would line up with Orthodox Christianity, some of which would not. Um, the three that get thrown around a lot is one is that if a woman and husband are faithful, that they'll be preserved through childbirth. That's real dangerous because we know that people die in childbirth and they have for all of history died in childbirth. Um, that, that, that's tough. The second one uh, is very simply that this is pointing to Christ, the same way that Paul, when he's talking to men, uh, or actually, excuse me, when he's talking to gener uh, general humanity, he talks about how that we see Scripture reference how that um, sin entered through one man, Adam, mm -hmm. but then salvation comes through one man. Here, Paul is writing in the context of dealing with women in a church where there's a lot of problems going on and chaos that's been created by some of the women in the church that were following false teachings pushing false doctrines, etc. And so some say that what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, the same way that sin entered through this deception of Satan to Eve, we will also see salvation come about through the childbirth of one. Uh, matter of fact, um, the, uh, uh, yeah, does that make sense? Through, through the one, which is, which is Jesus. Uh, matter of fact, some would say that you could even read that um, where it says that she will be saved through childbearing uh, or through childbirth. Uh, some would say that the, the definite article there is used, and so you, you could almost read that she would be saved through the childbirth, right? Does that make sense? Y'all? Y'all make that make sense? Good, okay. The third one is the one that is kind of tough um, for our culture today. Uh, and, uh, and that is ultimately that the word saved there is not salvation. That's important to know. The word saved there is not salvation. It's more of the word of being preserved or protected. Hmm. And so the third one is that it, it, it's, it's saying Eve fell to temptation. She was not protected from Satan and fell to temptation because she got things out of their created order. And so the argument would be is that verse 15 is saying when woman, when a woman, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, accepts, uh, fulfills uh, her God-ordained uh, calling, her God-ordained order, um, then that protects her from the temptations of Satan. And so here the word childbirth is used. But if you go a couple of chapters later in 1 Timothy, he references this again when talking about younger widows and what to do if a young lady has her husband die. And there he uses a series of words that doesn't just deal with childbirth, but clearly deals with the family and the role of the wife in the family and in the home. And so the third option is truly that this is talking about the role of 
a female in the home and how important that is and that fulfilling that role what it does is it not only makes the home a better place but it also helps her to be protected from temptation of satan i know that was a lot but that's the three options that yeah it was, it was a very yeah, very says, full question mine says down in the notes it says that save can be understood as referring especially to the endurance and perseverance and faith that is necessary for eternal salvation and then People are saved as they persevere in the faith to carry out the Lord's calling in their life. One example being the unique role of women in childbearing. Yeah, and, and part of that is the idea of sanctification, right? right? Like part of that is this idea of sanctification. Um, and part of that idea of sanctification is that you're being protected and preserved from the temptations of Satan. Good stuff. Well, hey, thank you guys, everybody, uh, for hanging out with us. I know this has been a very long episode, but... You know, it's, it's really incredible stuff that we're getting into. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Tommy, for, for hanging out with us. And, you know, y'all, like we said earlier, if you're looking to connect with us, we're, at, we're on Instagram at UGABCM or Monday nights. If you're in the Athens area, come hang out with us uh, here at 450 South Lumpkin Street. We are, our worship gatherings are at 8 o'clock. It's a really incredible time. But that is all for today, so we'll let y'all go. Thank you guys so much. And go dogs. One, three, four.